Welcome to Probably Science. I'm Matt Kirshen. And I am Andy Wood. Hey, Andy. Hello there. Let's uh, let's get straight into our guest. I've uh, wanted this guy on for a long time. Very funny comedian. It's Gene Pomper. Hey, everybody. It's me, my friend Gene Pomper. <laughs> How are you, man? How have you been? <laughs> Good. Thank you. As well as can be. Actually, you know, I, I'm kind of enjoying some of the quarantine. You know, it's uh, nice because you're not obligated to anything. In particular, can I get to start with the uh, fresh canvas? Yeah. Yeah. I definitely found that at the beginning of lockdown. There was a bit of me, obviously, you know, it's all stressful and hard and sad and everything. And then there's a bit of me that's like, yeah, they've just hit pause on everyone's responsibilities. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, kind of. Right? Like, okay, you don't have to pay rent. We'll just send you money. (laughs) Yeah. And, And then, like, gradually you sort of, things start to be opening back up again. And you see people posting like, hey, just finished writing on this show. And here's something I produced. And you're like, well, oh, no. Oh, yeah. that's (laughs) I'm behind again now. Yeah, that's intimidating when I see that. Like, that's what you did? Oh, you actually used your time for something productive? What's wrong with you? (laughs) I think that that part. And you see the results of the the fruits of their labor. And, and yeah, I'm a little envious. or, Or I feel like I flaked a little bit with some of the time, obviously. Well, Matt, you and I worked on a COVID-specific thing that'll be an interesting little archive of a moment this summer. Yeah, we did. It got us so long ago now, it feels like it's another world. Right. It was April? When was that? Yeah. We did a, <laughs> a, a, we did a YouTube original that was like yeah. a COVID-specific. It's called Celebrity Substitute, where celebrities zoom, zoom in with actual teachers to teach real high school subjects to sort of like a thing you could play for kids who are homeschooling right now and, oh, and might get them interested great, in the subject yeah it was really interesting but it was like you know it was the first few weeks of quarantine and everyone's trying to figure out how exactly to capture a video conference in a way that comes somewhere close to real tv production quality you know yeah you know it's surprising with technology that the uh, clarity and stuff has really come kind of leaps and bounds from what it was even just five years ago it's remarkable how everyone just adjusted to Zoom and other things pretty quickly. And it's pretty and impressive that, that most of us yeah. have in our pockets a camera that is that would have cost, you know, ten thousand dollars fifty years yeah. ago. So yeah. that's <laughs> I crazy. do. Sometimes I feel like my grandpa, what will they think of next? What the <laughs> hell? What else can they put in your pocket? <laughs> yeah. A kite? Yeah. 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 <laughs> Where does it end? <laughs> Let's go kite flying out there, you just touch your phone yeah. and I bet a string comes out at the end of your phone <laughs> yeah that, I bet that's another thing I bet that's another thing whose price has tripled and whose, whose delivery time has gone to two months is any high quality kite I bet that's another like anytime I think of something oh, I want to yeah. buy that I can do now that I'm stuck at home everyone has thought of it and that thing is out on Amazon whether it's a telescope or a hammock anything that involves being at home is sold out for months on Amazon <laughs> Oh, yeah. You know, it was weird. I had a few jigsaw puzzles. I had bought them before just because my nephew liked, you know, sci-fi. And so I had like some Star Wars and whatever else the other one was. Uh, But then all of a sudden there was like this shortage of jigsaw puzzles (laughs) for a while because everyone wanted jigsaw puzzles. Just anything to occupy their time. I like to imagine there's like a guy getting hazard pay who's working overtime on the actual jigsaw, like their hands saw, sawed. Like yeah. They take the piece of cardboard and someone's like, they're cracking the whip on the guy we running that saw. We need more shapes. Yeah. <laughs> Cut yeah, faster. Right. 
Yeah, I think I've now completed that, uh, movies are open is scary. Well, you yeah, I mean? like sometimes, right? Because aren't movie theaters open now? I, I well, the uh, Christopher Nolan movies in out. some. Yeah, they're opening in some places. I've only been to the drive-in movies, and we've done that a few times now. Oh, you have? How'd you? How was it? It's that's... really fun. There's there's one that's about. It's called Mission Tiki, and it's about forty-five minutes drive. So, you know, it's a bit of a road trip. It's sort of uh-huh. in the direction of Ontario. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, just like inland. Yeah, I know that area. And, uh, yeah, they've got four screens. You get a double bill for your that's, $10 a head. Oh, my God, that's great. Yeah, and it's normally this one film that you want to see and then something else that's, you know, a slightly trashy horror film or, you know, something that... Well, that also doesn't matter if the film's a bit crap. You're You're sitting in the car. There's just... Yeah, two of you or whatever, right, right? Whoever's in your household, so you can you can talk loudly, and it's uh, kind of romantic and uh, like uh, fun. I mean, it's like yeah. going camping. Yeah, you know, I grew up going to those drive-in movies in Southern California, and uh, I always loved them. But of course, because real estate was so expensive, eventually it became cost prohibitive, so they would be turned into condos or whatever, wherever the drive-ins used to be. Right, used, used to be one right down the street from. There was probably growing up in La Mirada, uh, which is like kind of near Whittier and Fullerton. Mm-hmm. Growing up there, I think I there was a drive-in probably two two or three miles away in each direction. There was like one in La Mirada or Santa Fe Springs, and then there was one in La Habra. So there, like, there were really uh, quite a few of them. Like, it, it was really plentiful, and then it just like a lot of things. It just kind of went the way of the dinosaur. Right, but, but it's fun to have them back. I think I, I haven't experienced it yet, but it looks oh, like. Oh, I, I, I recommend it just for a thing to do as well. Particularly at the beginning of lockdown, it felt great just to get out of the house and go and do a thing while still feeling relatively safe. Yeah, and that's a good reason. I I, I think my wife and daughter would would actually uh, maybe even go with me. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder well, why a... I'd have to ask, but <laughs> <laughs> um, Gene, before we get into the stories and start going through those, we like to ask our guests uh, this question: Just what, if anything, is your background in science? And that's ranged from classes you liked or didn't like as a kid to blowing stuff up in the woods with your friends. Um, I'm trying to think. What do I know that's scientific? Oh, um, well. For instance, like you know those uh, those Rockstar Energy drinks. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. You you know those tall cans they come in. I yes, I do. Okay. the The circumference of the can is uh, longer than the can is tall. <laughs> <laughs> That's uh. Yeah, that, that. I can see that being true. That's a great, it's <laughs> a great little mathematical fact. Yeah, yeah that and uh, <laughs> I don't. I, I, and I, <laughs> should I even reference? I know, there's a word for that, isn't there? <laughs> oh, is there? I mean, it, uh, uh, in a more like juvenile sense. Uh, yeah, <laughs> that's, yeah, yeah. That's, that, that uh, would make sense because the diameter, the diameter sort of is a, probably less than. Is probably more than a third of the height. Yeah, it's an optical illusion. Yeah, sort of like like pizza is like that. You know, if you get a large pizza, you get the same amount of pizza as two medium pizzas because of the circumference. 
That is that is so, also true. <laughs> do I have even to? Though, yeah, even though it doesn't look yeah. like it's nearly twice as much. <laughs> yeah. And I also know the longest word in the English dictionary. Uh, that is actually, well, it's, not, it's more medical science because it's a type of uh, pneumonia caused by uh, siliceous particles in the air. And that's pneumonia ultramicroscopic silicovolcanic coniosis. Ooh. Yeah. That's great. I haven't heard. I thought uh, growing up, for some reason, we everyone liked to s- state that trivia fact that it was anti-disestablishmentarianism. Yeah. I don't know if that ever had the record or not, but it, it's... Uh, it, 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 uh, anti-disestablishmentarianism uh, was considered the longest word, but the pneumonia ultramicroscopic silicovacaniconiosis <laughs> that that came that came about because of this kind of asbestos uh, big asbestos suit, and so that was the the type of illness that it would cause. The, the, so they're like, we need to get this in the Guinness Book of Records to get the longest word, just to get some good publicity for our court case. Yeah, and because and I remember, you know, I learned it from my fourth grade teacher. He was really smart, uh, and he was he was like, it was weird because in in Southern California, when you grew up here, and a guy comes in from New York, and and they're like staunch New Yorker with the New York accent. It's very foreign to us, you know. Yeah, we're kind of sheltered in Southern California. Believe it or not, it's not all Hollywoody. Uh, in the suburbs, you know, we we kind of didn't know anything, <laughs> so we're like, "This way, this guy talks," you know. <laughs> it was so bizarre, and he actually mentioned that he said uh, people believe it's anti-disestablishmentarianism, but it's actually you know pneumonia ultramicroscopic silicovolcaniosis. Oh, I, I remember as a kid hearing that anti-disestablishmentarianism was second to flocking knocking nihilification, which is something <laughs> to do with. I, it, is a word that means something to do with trivia or trivial matters, and I can't remember exactly what the oh, definition wow. is. I have never heard that word. Say the word but, again. Flocking, knocking, nihilopilification. Wow. Which yeah, was, okay. but that's that's been smashed by the number of letters in the uh, asbestos lawsuit. Yeah, uh, pneumonia ultramicroscopic silicovolcaniconiosis. For some reason, I think he was giving us a lesson in syllables, and and it also had the most syllables, I guess. Is it's got a nice meter to it. It's it's got a very like uh, up and down. It's fun to say or fun to hear. I haven't tried saying it yet. It's I imagine it's fun. To amazing say. how those. Also, the musicality of it, I guess, probably helps lock it in your brain because that's yeah, stuck that's, in your head for decades now. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Because that's <laughs> very true. And I think for a while I was saying it wrong, and then I, every once in a while I would look it up and be like, okay, this is really kind of out. Uh, you know, phonetically, it's supposed to be said. And yeah, it does. To just to remember it, almost like your ABCs, you kind of have to sing it, right? Just to keep it, keep it. Pneumonia-ultramicroscopic silicovolcaniconiosis. <laughs> I, I wonder, has somebody run an ad for like a class action lawsuit against asbestos makers, like saying, "Do you suffer from?" And like in the thirty-second ad, they can only they only have time to say yeah, the word like twice. They, they like, can't finish the word. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> or they yeah, or they can only say like a half the word and have to buy two ads. Yeah. Um, here we go. The definition of flocking, nugging, nihilification is the action or habit of establishing something as worthless. And then it says in parentheses, the word is used chiefly as a curiosity. Uh, oh, oh, wow. How, how, what's the first uh, like few letters in the word? F-L-O-C-C-I-N-A-U-C-I-N-I-H-I-L-I-P-I-L-I-F-I-C-A-T-I-O-N. Oh, man, I got to I got to 
I got to look that word up. That it's the longest word. non-technical word in major dictionaries, according to Wikipedia. It's also well, that's got a great word. I like having that stuff. Yeah. You know, in your back pocket, having those kind of yeah. things. And its usage has been recorded as far back as 1741. No also way. says Wikipedia. Wow. It consists of a series of Latin words meaning nothing. <laughs> yeah, a wisp, a right. trifle, a hair, <laughs> nothing. And it also has nine yeah, eyes in it. That's gr- uh, Oh, really? Wow. Yeah. That's interesting. So, it, And at the end of the day, it means nothing, really? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's... So it's probably something that started as a bit of a lexicographer's joke. Wow, that is wild. That's kind of that's a great word, though. I'm I, I, now I'm now that's my uh, focus after I get off the show. I'm going to go uh, learn how to say that on a regular basis and just inject it gratuitously into that, conversation. That really means oh, that there are okay. Hang on, there are some words. So the 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 Wikipedia entry for the longest word in English, there are technical words that are silly. So the longest, the longest known word overall by magnitudes, um, and it, it's it's not written in full. Um, it's it's linked to an appendix. Is one hundred eighty nine thousand letters long? Uh, okay. <laughs> and it's the chemical name of titan, uh, which is the largest known protein. So it's the full chemical name of that molecule. That, but that's got to be gratuitous on some level, right? It, yeah, it is. It was something that would never be pronounced because it's basically <laughs> like a chemical name for a for a molecule is like the official name is just a combination of all the different atoms and groups of atoms that makes it up. And this is something that is hang on, the largest known protein. Let's see how big it is. It, um, and it says whether this is a word is disputed. Oh, okay. Uh, so it's a giant protein. It's more than one uh, micrometer in length that functions as a molecular spring, which is responsible for the passive elasticity of muscle. Mm. Uh, and there's probably other words that are that apply that are smaller or shorter, rather. Yeah. Like so th- this was yeah. This is like a Guinness Book of World Records, probably a uh, little pet uh, project. <laughs> yeah, the longest. The, yeah, the longest word in a major dictionary is the one that you just said, which is forty-five letters long. Wow! Oh, but, really? Okay. But given that dictionaries are updated every year based on usage, because obviously language doesn't like come from on high. It's it's a thing that we all create. I'm surprised nobody on the internet has decided to make it a project to be like, if we all start using this word I just made up, it will have to event eventually end up in the Oxford English Dictionary. Like, you know, maybe 10 years ago when the internet was right, more, fun, right. more fun, that would have been a, a fun project for somebody. Uh, or still a, a listener out there who has some sway online wants to try to throw their weight around and get people to start using a made-up word. It would eventually, I think, have to get included. Like, misspellings of words are now getting included because nobody knows how to spell woe anymore. So, like, some major dictionaries are going to start putting in W-O-A-H, which drives me insane, but I, I have, have to, to move Google on. I have to Google every time how to write woe. It's no. why I, I don't, get, <laughs> I don't know because it's just is it W H O it is it woo is it woo We're like which woo <laughs> or is it yeah is it W O A H or is it W H O A Well now it's both because everyone used it enough yeah. so we could we could make up a word right now and start a campaign to get everyone to use it and it would have to end up in a dictionary and we would have the new record as long as it has those rhythms like for instance like it's catchy 
because even anti-disestablishmentarianism is kind of easy to pronounce yeah. and remember. Uh, but, you know, like even though it was nonsense, supercalifragilisticexpialidocious, whatever that was from Mary Poppins. Yeah. If you say certain words enough, yeah, then and people learn them enough. Uh, you always sound precocious. Then they're, they, yeah. And they're, <laughs> <laughs> Wee! <laughs> Then it has to be put into the dictionary eventually, right? Isn't that what yeah. happens with Ox- Oxford every year? They go, I, yeah. oh, like they'll, they'll have a, a, they'll say thirst trap, right? Yes. Even though yeah, that's yeah. just a vernacular. They'll say, well, thirst trap, and they'll actually have a definition, uh, even though it started off as slang. Right. They'll have my picture next to it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, all of us <laughs> holding hands. <laughs> <laughs> All right, uh, listeners. So, if you want to make up a long word, tweet us. And, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll help. We'll help literally spread the word. So, yes, perfect. Spread the word. Should we get a story or two? Yeah, yeah. Why yeah. Not? Do you like this one about the um, the Beetlebot? Why not? Let's do it. Sure. This was emailed in uh, from Heather Robinson. This is a sciencenews.org article about a. Uh, a tiny beetle robot that runs on booze. <laughs> as, oh, wow. as we all. Yeah, Gene, yeah, if, right. if you look in the show notes, oh, you got it open as well. You can see what it looks like. It, it looks like a sort of, it looks like one of those clear Lego pieces that makes like the sort of the siren on a Lego car or a window. Oh, yeah, it does. Yeah. Oh, ri- Has that clear plastic looking, but colored, tinted clear plastic. Hey, wait! You guys have uh, you guys have moving pictures on your computer on this cast on this. Uh, yeah, if you go to halfway down the article, you'll see a little uh, video of this little beetle. <laughs> yeah, walking along. I mean, the listeners won't won't see these moving pictures unless they click on the link in the show notes. Oh, oh man, it's a whole new world. Okay, <laughs> but methanol yeah, it, fuel gives this tiny beetle bot the freedom to roam. Methanol. Yeah. Oh, robot beetle wow. goes it goes the distance on its own thanks to a methanol fueled micro muscle. Scientists envision that swarms wow. of robotic insects could assist search and rescue operations, but tight spaces are out of reach for robots that must be tethered to an energy source. The new bot, described August nineteenth in Science Robotics, carries its liquid fuel inside its body. Um, Nestor O. Perez Arancibia said, hey, a chi- a chi- <laughs> "Is that a Chicano? Is that a Chicano carnet?" oh you're a usc guy okay cool yeah he he says that this uh this cucaracha uh, is um he says i realized the critical issue was power his team at usc turned the uh turned to methanol because uh in a given mass it packs over 10 times the energy as tiny batteries so to turn methanol into motion, the researchers coated a nickel-titanium alloy wire with platinum. The alloy contracts like a muscle when it's heated and extends once it cools. The platinum generates heat by combusting any methanol vapor that comes in contact with it. What? Is that something platinum just does? Wow. Um, by varying the exposure to fuel in a periodic pattern, the temperature varies and the micromuscle accordions. That motion causes the bot's four legs to rear up, and when the legs scooch back again, the body drags forward. <laughs> It's a pretty cute little video. It's very sexual, that last line. Yeah, Yeah, you don't see scooch much in science articles. (laughs) Hey, why don't you scooch your legs back, sweetheart? Come on now. (laughs) Let's pour a little bit more methanol in you. Yeah. (laughs) 
<laughs> it is an alcohol after all. Let's see oh, if that man. loosens you up a bit to ah. scooch those legs. There we go. Drag that body forward. Yeah. There we are. So <laughs> That's all very pornographic. <laughs> so excluding fuel, the beetle bot weighs about as much as three grains of rice on par with live insects. It crawls on flat surfaces while carrying up to 2.6 times its weight. Okay. Uh, tackles inclined steeper than the toughest treadmill setting, and it can run for over an hour. Shit. Perez on CBS, Aron Cebia says, uh, with a battery, even a state-of-the-art one, it would run for a few seconds at best, he estimates. Oh, that's amazing. They see, what, what can't booze do, okay. you know? It's... Um, yeah, right? That's exactly, that's what I say. I'm going to pour alcohol on all of my robots to see what happens. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, anything, anything that's got a battery in it yeah. right now, rip that battery out, pour some yep. methanol in the hatch yep. and see if it runs for longer. Yep, charge it up, Let the, get them legs to scooch. <laughs> scooch it up. Yeah, yeah. you know, that's, uh, that's kind of, this is actually uh, fantastic because it, even though it's so small, if this thing was... A car, you know, which seems like it could go in that direction, right? Is that so? He he must have taken the methanol that was used to to operate vehicles, and and found it. I mean, I, so I, that's what I understand. So how is it different than methanol that was was it's, methanol used in some cars for a while? Yeah, it's still or, or eth, ethanol. I think I always confuse all these well, different alcohols. So ethanol, ethanol, ethanol. Okay, that's it. You're right. Ethanol. Yeah. So ethanol has one more carbon atom. Okay. It's, um, methanol is, rightly, it's a, uh, it vaporizes at a lower temperature, and uh, um, and we had a yeah. listener write in when we mistakenly thought that one of those two was the drinkable alcohol and one's rubbing alcohol. It's, that's not the case. It's it's oh, whether okay, okay. you. What is the difference again, Matt? Do you remember? Oh well, rubbing alcohol has two different types. I think that you can buy in right. America. One's ethyl alcohol, and I can't remember what the other is. But drinking is methanol. Methanol in Britain is in methylated spirits. I don't know what if that's sold in America, and you use it for things like cleaning paintbrushes and or like for. I'm sure it's used in crafts in some way or another for cleaning tools. So it's gonna have to. It has to be a variation of meth, also, right? Like crystal meth. This has to be no. some kind uh, of no. I think is that derivative of that. No. That well, what, is, it, what does that mean? Well, as a I prefix? bet the meth again. This is remembering back to my A level chemistry twenty years ago, but. The METH prefix means it's a uh, an organic chemistry group with just one carbon atom and then a certain number of hydrogen atoms attached to it and maybe some other stuff depending on what type of thing it is. That's so, what meth. That's what. So meth- methanol okay. is the alcohol that has one carbon atom, and then there's ethanol, and then you. Um, so you also have like methane, ethane, br- propane, butane, which are. One, two, three, and four carbon atoms, respectively. And uh, and not to be silly, but what's crystal meth? So crystal. So I'd imagine I'd imagine crystal meth is well, some methamphetamine form of amphetamine right? that has yeah. yeah, and it's probably called methamphetamine. I could be wrong about this, but I'd imagine oh, it's because it okay. has some kind of methyl group attached to it. Yeah, right. it, has, so it that, has. That makes sense. I'm looking at the Wikipedia, and it has two. Um, Two, 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 two uh, methanes attached to the molecule. Two CH3s, right? Um, and then a whole bunch of other stuff. And meth is really just like you said. It's it's just a. So if you when you add, uh, it's always hard for me to say that word. Uh, uh, I, I used to take Ritalin when I was a kid, which I think was an 
amphetamine. How do you say that when it's yeah? I think it's an amphetamine. It's yeah. like upper or speed. Yeah. So methamphetamine. That's really what crystal meth is, right? It's yes. Methamphetamine. Yeah. Thanks. Yeah. So meth is just a short version. Yeah, so that would be some kind of amphetamine, which is a much longer, much more complicated molecule than the ones we're talking about here. But it'll have these methyl groups attached to it. So oh, if you okay. look at the sort of the the uh, diagram, the atomic diagram of what it looks like, if you sort of draw it out or or look at a model of it, you know those sort of atom or molecule models where it's got the little balls and the sticks attached. Yes, attached to one or more bit of it will be. Uh, a meth a methane group where it's got like it'll have one carbon atom and then three hydrogens coming out of it and then the fourth bond will attach to the rest of the molecule oh wow so that yeah so that's probably why it's called methamphetamine because it's got this this meth group attached to the amphetamine atom or molecule rather but it is funny that that's accepted oh sorry go ahead no 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 you're you, you go ahead i was In Britain, they also sell... So, methylated spirits, which some people with alcohol problems would end up drinking and poison themselves with, is called meth, is is sometimes abbreviated to meths, with an S on the end. And in Britain, it's normally sold with something, a purple dye in it as well, to make it less likely to be drunk. Unless you're a huge Welch's grape juice fan, yeah. Exactly. Yeah, which I am. Mm-hmm. But that said, <laughs> exactly. You know, I used to get my uh, best Welch's grape juice at Disneyland. When the Disneyland, when it opened, it had uh, most of the rides were sponsors, you know, like, oh, which I didn't know. Like, so there was a future ride, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, I forgot what it was called. It wasn't Space Mountain, but it was in Tomorrowland. And it was, by, anyways, it was by Monsanto, right? <laughs> and I didn't know Monsanto was like a bad thing. Like when you're a kid, you're like, oh, Monsanto, yay. You know, let's go to, <laughs> let's Monsanto, go on the Monsanto ride. Yeah. Well, it's, it's weird because they're, they're not an exclusively bad thing. They're, they're an odd company. Well, I guess not an odd company. Because they create they're a lot like of GMOs, massive, right? Yeah. And they're like many, like many big corporations. They've done very good and very horrible things in the world. So they GMOs aren't de facto bad. And they... And some of the things they've done have been responsible for saving many lives by doing things like letting certain countries have grains that are resistant to certain pests. So you don't have to use the, as many pesticides and, you know, grow more efficiently in the different environments. And But then they do really dodgy stuff like uh, copywriting molecules. <laughs> stopping, oh, oh, wow. And stopping uh, uh, or, or like strains <laughs> of... Or like copywriting strains of these plants, then you know. Uh, and they want to copyright it so they can manufacture and own the yeah. rights, obviously. And you know, they're they're a massive corporation that do some really dodgy stuff and some really decent stuff. So, by the way, I'm looking up methylated spirits here. So, methylated spirits are it is a mixture of ethanol, and then they add methanol to make it poisonous, and then they add purple uh. dye to make it obviously poisonous. And it's used as a solvent, but also for things like um, alcohol burners and camping stoves. So I remember that back in the day, like before you, before camping stoves were almost always propane or butane, you used to get these ones that like you pour a bottle of methylated spirits in it and it has a wick and it, and it has this sort of alcohol, this chemically burning smell. 
Mm-hmm. And it's a, it's meant to be like a a, a candle type device, or it's, yeah, well, it, but it's it burns hotter, so it you know it's like a it's more like um an oil lamp. It has a um actually oil lamps aren't as hot, but like it but it can, it's hot enough to eat heat up food like a little camping stove. I think also my friend had a chemistry set that had a methylated spirits Bunsen burner. Oh, and and w- people would drink that sometimes. Some people were, would drink if that. If they were severe alcoholics, they would be like, yeah, okay, and well, it's I'll just have this. Not advisable because it's unpleasant wow. and can cause blindness or death. My yeah. mom used to uh, say that my dad would drink uh, that when he was uh, trying to be sober, that she would have to hide all the cough and cold medicines. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Because he would go through withdrawal and, he, and they would be empty when she'd open the cabinet. And, and she didn't know at first that that was a, 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 a resource, you know, for for that kind of alcohol. She just yeah, it was so bizarre. Also, not advisable. Then we find out that that's it. But that was, apparently that was in our children's cough syrup for years, right? Like in the sixties yeah, and seventies. I think it's still. I think a lot of cough syrup still does have some alcohol. Just not a lot, but. Um, and it has codeine in them, to, or some kind of uh, none of the over the counter ones too. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I've had the codeine one before when my daughter got sick. I'm like, well, there's still a half a bottle left. You know, waste <laughs> not, want not. Right. Let's see what happens. <laughs> codeine, codeine has a slight euphoria to it. Uh, yeah, it's so an opiate, right? If it's in small doses, it's not. Yeah, yeah. Is yeah. it? Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Oh man, yeah. I, <laughs> Speaking of, I had a fond memory just now. <laughs> I, ironic that you're saying those were the days, <laughs> Matt. You're saying you add purple coloring to discourage someone from drinking something, but codeine is uh, one of the main ingredients in purple drink. Have you heard of that yep. or scissorp? Oh, I've heard of scissorp, but what is a purple drink? Same, same thing. deal. I you think you just combine oh, and co- so. Si- yeah, it's oh, codeine. That's scissor. Yeah, codeine-based cough syrup with uh, a soft drink, usually like grape soda, and then you put like a Jolly Rancher or something in it. Um, and yeah, you'll get. Oh, I thought uh, you had alcohol as well. Um, let's see. I, when I've made a it, scissor. I mean, uh, <laughs> the internet <laughs> immediately and just to be doesn't clear, mention you have to, When you go to the pharmacist, you have to get each of those. <laughs> you get them individually, right? Sure. Yeah. You don't like so, you can't go to a compounding pharmacist and ask them to make it up for you. I've got a script. For so I can't scissor. I can't go into CVS and go. Can I just get a bottle of scissor? Yeah, please. No, you have you have to ask for them separately, and they know what you're doing. Uh, oh, really? <laughs> they would know what you're doing immediately, right? Oh, I know what this guy's up to. Yeah, you just no matter how much you try and play it off, it's like oh, yeah. maybe um, you know what? I might I might get a Jolly Rancher as well. I might have one of those. Right? You know what the hell? Throw in a Jolly Rancher. Yeah, like try to, like it's an afterthought. Yeah, <laughs> that actually I hate to say it, but it sounds kind of tasty. I mean, for sure, like a you know like a terrible drink. And that it, smells like a smooth cocktail. It sounds like it. But, but when you Google it, the third thing that comes up is just scissor colon. It's not cool. So remember that, kids. You heard it here. It's not cool. Only don't dopes scissor. use scissor. Yes. <laughs> you do not need it. Uh, we should probably delete this whole section. Uh, no, but anyway. So getting back to our drunk robot. Um, so the, 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 the beetle that runs on yes. booze, um, it, there are limitations to it. It doesn't go very fast compared to 
other robots and it can't be steered so it's sort of just a unidirectional oh. booze um so next generation prototypes yeah. will use the same artificial muscle principle with a speedier more maneuverable design and a different fuel and um flying robots are the ultimate goal specifically uh, this scientist said we want to do butterflies so they want okay, drunk, now i got, now drunk, I got butterflies. Weird. drunk butterflies yeah um, like but, it yeah. wasn't weird before that there was a, a robot beetle drinking beetle. <laughs> yeah, no. Okay, that that's one thing. But you start fucking with our butterfly and say, "Come on now, slow no, down." Thanks. But you know, it's interesting that uh, so there's a lot of parallels to like a an alcoholic where it says uh, you can't uh, uh, you can't steer it and. <laughs> it can't be controlled. You know, it's like yeah. an out of out of control drunk. Yeah. Yeah. You got to take away its keys, otherwise. Yeah. You know what it's like. <laughs> yeah. He's got the Beatles' keys. Yeah, <laughs> that's. I know when I've had too much methadone. Yeah, he's crazy when he's like this. Yeah. There's actually another wow, story. It's bizarre. I, we we had another listener send in. An, uh, I like the looks of it, though. It, it is pretty cool. Oops, sorry about that. We have a surprisingly connected story from uh, Alexander Duenas. Um, oh, I about, think I know the story you're about to do. Yeah, speaking of robots drunkenly stumbling along, um, your smartphone can tell if you're drunk walking. Oh, a, wow. Yeah, isn't that, isn't that crazy? In a recent study, scientists could tell if people were intoxicated just by looking at their phone's motion data. So, wow, just... That's interesting. I mean, I would imagine they have to be hammered, right, for that to I, even I don't know. register? Yeah. Um, so, yeah, let's see. If, if a cop pulls you over, they can only objectively determine <laughs> intoxication <laughs> wow. on the roadside with a breathalyzer. In the lungs, ethanol is transferred it from the blood into air, so the device can te- detect alcohol in your exhalation. Um, even then, one person at the U.S. federal legal – one person at the U.S. – what? At the U.S. federal legal driving limit of – Wow. Uh, wait, sorry. Uh, someone who was at point zero eight basically might act perfectly normal, while another person would be trying unsuccessfully to fish a slice of pizza out of a gutter. But scientists are working on what might be a new way to determine intoxication by returning to a stereotypical characteristic of the drunk that's actually true: that soused walk. No matter how well you think you're walking when you're intoxicated, especially if you compare yourself to your friend in the gutter, subtle and not so subtle changes in your gait could betray your alcohol level. And if you're carrying a smartphone, its onboard accelerometer can pick up those changes. In fact, scientists from University of Pittsburgh just published wow. research showing that in the lab, at least, they can use smartphone motion, de- motion data to detect if a subject is intoxicated with an average accuracy of 93%. Um, it sounds like fun and games, people getting loaded and watching them stumble around for science, but the work could have some serious utility. This this Wired article is just teetering on the edge of annoying. Like so far, it's staying in the good zone with a cutesy commentary, but it's oh, it's close. It's running well, I, close. I skipped the first full sentence of d- descriptions of what drunk people are. Um, so, but yeah, but the uh, drink that they're describing is a vodka gimlet. You're right. Yeah, vodka, vodka, lime, and simple juice. syrup. Yeah, it's kind of delicious. Oh, yeah, those are really sweet. And had an hour to finish the stiff drink for, because the researchers wanted to get them to a peak of 2.0. Oh, I see. Oh, they, they went, got them to point, point... Oh, okay. That's really... Jeez, that's fucking Dangerously wasted. drunk, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> 2.0. Uh, when I was a younger man, I'm not proud of it, uh, I kind of uh, screwed up, and I got pulled over, and I had a 1.4, and that was when... 
uh, it was one or point one zero, I guess. Yeah, uh, was the legal limit. So I had a point one four, but this was like in eighty nine, mm-hmm. and they they hit me on the the hand really hard, and they said that'll be three hundred dollars, and you stop it. That was it. <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah, that was it. Was yeah, not like it was uh, this day and age. Uh, yeah, but so point they, two, on, they were allowed be... to just do corporal punishment, like a sort of <laughs> like a Victorian school governess. <laughs> yeah, so come in tomorrow and don't be wearing any padding. I know <laughs> you know your tricks, Mister Popa. <laughs> you had to pick the switch out of a tree in front of the police station. Yeah, yeah you go out to the courthouse <laughs> yard. <laughs> get a get a branch, get a switch. <laughs> But yeah, so they got these yeah. people in the lab to 0.20, which I, I think I know someone who went to the hospital because he was at 0.25. Like 0.20 was really drunk. Um, yeah, for sure. And especially if you have other uh, pre-existing conditions, like, you know, if you're on other types of medication or or whatever. Yeah, uh, yeah. Two, uh, 0.20, that could kill a person. Yeah. But then for some people, like uh, let's say uh, uh, Jim Jeffries, <laughs> that's probably that's Tuesday. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't know if he drinks anymore. I think he maybe stopped drinking but back in the day when he would throw him back. <laughs> I don't think he'd yeah. be mad if we're saying this. I, uh, I, I'm very sure he would be. <laughs> there, there is no libel there, nor are we coming up with any grand revelations. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so we're before not saying anything that he hasn't said more yeah. eloquently over longer periods of time in multiple it, specials in a special yeah <laughs> uh so before they got the people drunk the researchers had strapped ordinary smartphones to the lower backs um to get an idea of their baseline gates they had the participants walk 10 steps forward turn around and walk 10 back then they repeated that same walk while they were drunk doing it once an hour over the course of seven hours as their um brac peaked and then waned and all the time, the smartphone was logging their motion data. So right now, this thing only works with if your phone is strapped to your back. <laughs> Isn't that where you guys oh. keep your phones? <laughs> <laughs> that's right. That's where I keep my big phone. <laughs> your big phone's strapped to a sword, isn't it, yeah. Gene? <laughs> <laughs> the smaller ones are in a holster. I... <laughs> and then you've got like a, a third like little emergency <laughs> phone in an ankle holster, just in yeah, case. Yeah, just in case it, you know... You never, because you don't know. You know. Yeah, so <laughs> can got... steal your phones, and they th- might think you're done at the last minute. You pull out that ankle phone. <laughs> you just got to get that concealed phone permit. But yeah, <laughs> wish I had that kind of money. Right. <laughs> um, so yeah, every person had their own unique sober gate and their unique intoxicated gate, and they used individualized mathematical models that allowed them to compare each person against him or herself. Uh, they found that. Really, what was driving the model is the medial lateral sway. That means lurching side to side. Your typical sober gait is more or less down the line, which kind of makes sense when you think about the caricature of a drunk cartoon. Someone is always swaying back and forth. Um, the model of each person's particular gait allowed the researchers to correctly identify over 90% of the time when the subject's BRAC passed 0.08. Of course, in the real world, most people don't strap their smartphones to their backs, as we said. But the researchers are planning to do further experiments with subjects carrying the devices in their hands or pockets. Like, why wouldn't wow. you do both? Why wouldn't you have one phone in the pocket, one strapped to the back, so you can not have to oh, double? So do... That's a good point. I was going to say, like, you start with a more simple experiment, but I guess you could have done them both simultaneously. But I think, you know, still in an in an experiment, you want to limit variables as much as possible. 
yeah. and make life easy for yourself when you're doing the first research. But you just could you could have gotten double like the data points. Right away. Like in like in Japan, they have a a zero tolerance for drunk driving, right? Mm-hmm. And like so, and it really is stupid to ever get a drunk driving in Japan because they give you every opportunity to not have that happen. In so terms of like, like so, like if you're driving, there'll be like this checkpoint coming up, right? Mm-hmm. And basically, they're saying turn around if you go through this checkpoint. You know, and sometimes people are dumb enough to go through it, but you have the option to turn around. Not like in like in California, you can't. Oh, interesting. Do that. But in Japan, it's they really give you all these outs, and they so also have very good public transport. <clears throat> so yeah, there's, and just so there's multiple no, ways to move about without needing that car. Oh yeah, it's just extraordinarily proficient and efficient, and and there's no reason to drive you know impaired, and so I would think in a way. Because Japan also has uh, tracing, like with their uh, coronavirus and stuff like that from the phones, I suppose. I think, it's, I think it comes from the phones. If they advance this, you could trace – you would have people kind of already in the in the program, wouldn't you? So you'd be able to use it as evidence. Like, oh. Yeah, isn't, isn't that the fear? That's one of the f- people's fears about downloading these apps is like, okay, they're tracing the coronavirus now, but then – what are they going to do after that? This is the first step to them having chips inside you. Right. Yeah, and it can almost be where the cop comes or, or the law enforcement, uh, when you get pulled over, just takes out his phone and he says, well, according to our data, you are fucked up or, or whatever. You know, But he could tell or she could tell because it would be – it would, it would, it would uh, coincide with your tracing uh, mechanism in there, right? Yeah, yeah. And they, they can just say, okay, well, we have access to this, so we can use this to verify that you're drunk. Yeah, I'm not sure what I think. I mean, like, I, I think in the next year, we're all going to have to get used to or, or reacquaint ourselves with what, what privacy is and what it means to us. Because I, I think we've all just grown up thinking that privacy is this basic human right that is absolute. And we're going to have to realize, like, actually, for the good of society, we're going to have to give up some of it and be okay with that like yeah because yeah. of coronavirus and and more i mean I, I guess i've always been on the side of like yes extreme privacy is a thing we're all allowed to have but like the phone thing the fact that apple gets a pass by saying there is no backdoor way to get into someone's phone because if there were then anybody could exploit it so we can't so we, we can wash our hands of any responsibility when the fbi wants to get into a phone to solve some very important case that could save lives or you know yeah someone dangerous behind bars like and i've been on the side of apple because i'm like yeah you can't have a backdoor or else it got exploited but like there there are lines when that would suddenly become very bad for society you know like yeah you're like, well, there's, there's yeah. no way to have something that can get like uh the can let you into the phone of a terrorist that can't also let you let the government into the phone of a protester or yeah, a right. political opponent. But I, yeah, it becomes a slippery slope because you have, you do have that tracing capability where uh, maybe there's a mass uh, shooter who's getting ready to do something and he's texting or whatever it is. And so you could, uh, you know, cut that off at the pass or, to avoid violating privacy laws, you say, okay, I guess we got to let them shoot everybody. You know, so it's kind yeah, of a, there's, a weird uh, spot to find a moral uh, compass. 
yeah, I, I don't think there's any uh, obvious like black or white solution on that. But I think we are going to have to reevaluate all of us how much we prioritize pr- privacy because that's not even like that. It's a pretty recent thing that we've just added into our. Oh yeah, of course that's a thing we are, all have a right to. And it's like, well, do we all like? I, I, yeah. Well, when they create this uh, situation where it's a matter of life or death, right? So yeah, uh, or, or we get scared into it. Perhaps. So they'll say, uh, like the tracing's already for coronavirus, that's in a lot of countries. Mm-hmm. Uh, but obviously, like once the coronavirus dissipates or goes away, whatever it is, uh, this coronavirus, I mean, uh, now they still have, you're still in the trace system. So it's not like they go, oh, we, we found a vaccine for the, uh, this coronavirus. Uh, uh, we no longer need your, to trace you. No, they're going to keep all that da- data, right? I mean, who knows? They have yeah, to get rid of it. I, I, I don't, I don't know. Like, I'm, I'm not a, I'm not a very like conspiracy-minded person. But oh, I'm not. Yeah, By yeah. the way, I forgot. It's nine eleven. Oh God, yeah, uh, it is. Yeah, I'm not a conspiracy theorist either. And I have had so many friends before. It was so preposterous, but now I, I have. Well, not a lot of friends, but acquaintances, I should say, <laughs> where they're adamant about it. And I, I hate even, I hate even going down this rabbit hole, but. They're adamant that, oh, no, the 9-11. I'm like, no, no one's fucking – no one oh, – sorry. I mean, are you, no, like, you can no say – Oh, we can't? Okay, yeah. sorry. So no one is that smart or – Exactly. Or, co- or, co- or competent. <laughs> yeah. It's the illusion of competence. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, there's Thank no you. one that Thank competent. You. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And, and also too. able to keep a secret. Like, this, yeah. has come up, <laughs> yes. this has come up uh, a f- quite a few times on the show. And I remember when the original paper was published, we covered it on the show way back – there was someone actually calculated, like sat down and calculated exactly how long each conspiracy theory would be expected to last based on the number of people that would have to be involved. So it's like, you know, a conspiracy that could be done with two or three people can last for decades or even indefinitely. Whereas a conspiracy that involves hundreds of people can only last for a couple of months before just someone blows the whistle. Oh, makes that's sense. Actually, and that's and they a, sort of yeah. calculated exact amounts for different conspiracies. You know, they went, they modeled how many people would have to be in on the secret for each conspiracy theory. So the moon landing is the most absurd one because supposedly something that would have taken hundreds of people keeping a secret has survived intact for half a century. Yeah. And it, By the- it makes it more believable also, though, right? Like, like, like the moon, I don't the moon landing, yeah, that. What's the conspiracy on that? That it was just a a, a, a movie studio, and that's how it was uh, filmed, yeah. and that's how it was put. Yeah, out there. it was it was faked on a soundstage somewhere relatively near to where we're currently standing. And with nine eleven, it's uh, they say because there was a lot of people say it's an implosion as opposed to an explosion, uh, and they talk about all these different theories about how the metal and this and that. But first of all, we know it's a real thing because. Most of us have, have lost people uh, right. in that tragedy. But uh, some people, it's bizarre almost. Like, you really think that George W. Bush, like like Andy said, you really think he's that competent? Yeah. That he went, hey, this is how we'll do it, and no one will know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't think so. Not that guy. But also, <laughs> some guys in just yeah. workman uniforms are going into the basement of the World Trade Center with holdles full of explosives <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Or, or, or even going in 
<clears throat> with all this equipment, but there's like nothing in the in the suitcases that's supposed to be holding equipment or whatever yeah. <laughs> carrying in there. But the crazy yeah, yeah, if you if you strange. just want if you wanted what happened to happen, the easiest and cheapest way to do it would be what the real true story is. You would train some people to fly planes, have them hijack the planes and crash it. Like why wouldn't you just do that? I mean, you could be the one funding yeah. those people. But, you know, even if Bush is behind it, the easiest way to be behind it would be to go send some money for people to go learn to fly and fly into the buildings. Like that's enough. Why wouldn't you just do that? Like why would you have yeah. to add explosives? Like it yeah. makes no sense. Oh, good. Also, just yeah, 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 right, right. The number of people who lived in who live in New York and just saw a plane flying over the city and hitting a building. Like you can't Right, that part. Like, is would, it, does would, anyone deny that part? Is there I don't mass delusion? I, I don't know. Or, oh, right, 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 exactly. I, I guess, so yeah, that... so is the conspiracy theory... May, God, I'm going to need to be filled up. So the theory is that a large passenger jet hit the building at several hundred miles an hour. Yeah, twice, but then they, and it happened twice. But, but then they right? still had to set off some explosives in the basement to damage the building case. enough. Just yeah. in yeah. case. Just in case, yeah. Just in and case. they had that set up already. Yeah. It's that, the dumbest, uh, yeah. yeah. I will say this, and I'm, uh, I probably shouldn't, but when after it happened and after, uh, you know, you kind of process it after a few months, I remember kind of thinking, that was a really simple idea yeah. how to terrorize the United States, and no one saw it coming. Box and, cutters. I mean, all they had was box yeah, cutters and training. Yeah. That's all. Yeah, yeah, and I think that hurt the most. It was almost like, how dumb, how, how you know, not, but just yeah. naive were we? In, in terms of bang for your buck, yeah. and then just the repercussions that have lasted for two, like, for two decades now. The whole, and that would have never happened in Israel. The wars, you know, the two massive wars in the Middle East that have kept it destabilized for oh, yeah. two decades off the back of being justified by that. Um, but didn't L.L. Yeah. have, uh, weren't L, is it L.L. is the airline for Israel? Is that L.L., yes. I think? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, didn't they, even before that, on their airlines, uh, didn't they have uh, whatever their security detail is? I was told that they, yeah, they, they, they already had, because they'd already had hijackings and they, just, you know, Israel in general is way up on security. So they, they would face the, the passengers. Yeah. Well, they had to, doors for starters, which is amazing to think that it wasn't until after 9-11 that most airlines put in a door between the pilot and the rest of the cabin. Right. Yeah. Right. It's like a, a door that locks from the inside. And so it used to just be a curtain, even on a... <laughs> isn't that crazy? That's, that's how they so were able nuts. to penetrate because, yeah, because it, it's true because we took our freedoms for granted. And yeah. they used it as an opportunity to uh, to harm us. But uh, I, I always felt like that particular security uh, that LL had had is just so uh, so like it just works. You know, if you have two guys facing the passengers and they both have automatic weapons on them, no one's going to try to uh, breach that uh, pilot cabin. But like right. I said, we had a curtain. You know, in case somebody wanted a champagne with orange juice. At the right. Last, it's know. like it's like Wizard of Oz <laughs> level of protection. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Paying no attention to the man behind the curtain. Yeah. Um, well, oh, what right. we are talking about, the moon, a couple of people, multiple people have sent in. I think Colton Bond sent this in. Justin Broad sent it in. Uh, the moon is rusting. Oh, yeah. Oh, is that true? 
Yeah. How is it rusting? Like what? Then what? Uh, we don't know why exactly. So I'm going to go straight to the NASA JPL version of the story. Why not? Let's go to the source. Cool. Mar- Mars have lo- has long been known for its rust. Iron on its surface combined with water and oxygen from the ancient past gave, its- gave the red planet its hue. But scientists were recently surprised to find evidence that our airless moon has rust on it as well. A new paper in Science Advances reviews data from the Indian Space Research Organization's Chandrayaan-1 orbiter, which discovered water ice and mapped out a variety of minerals while studying the moon's surface in 2008. Lead author Shui Lin of the University of Hawaii has studied that water extensively in data from the uh, orbiter's Moon Mineralogy Mapping Instrument, or M-cubed, which was built by NASA's JPL lab in Southern California. Good little plug for themselves there. There Water interacts with rock to produce a diversity of minerals, and M-cubed detected spectra, or light reflected off surfaces, that revealed the moon's poles had a very different composition than the rest of it. Intrigued. I like it's NASA, but they're still writing it as a bit of a <laughs> sort of a bit of a story. They're t- taking us on a journey. Intrigued, Lee homed in on these polar spectra. While the moon's surface is littered with iron-rich rocks, he nevertheless was surprised to find a close match with the spectral signature of hermitite. The mineral is a form of iron oxide or rust produced when iron is exposed to oxygen and water. But the moon isn't supposed to have oxygen or liquid water, so how can it be rusting? And then uh, I'm going to read out the little Solar, sub. The, no, what are you going to say, Gene? No, no, no. I was no, I was following along actually. Go ahead. So the little subheading here is metal mystery. The, metal the, mystery. Yeah, the mystery starts with the solar wind, a stream of charged particles that flows out of them from the sun, bombarding Earth and the moon with hydrogen. Hydrogen makes it harder for hematite to form. It's what's known as a reducer, making it meaning it adds electrons to the material it interacts with. That's the opposite of what is needed to make hematite. For iron to rust, it requires an oxidizer, which removes electrons. And while the Earth has a magnetic field shielding it from the hydrogen, the moon doesn't. Lee says this is very puzzling. The moon is a terrible in- environment for hematite to form in. So he turned to two JPL scientists, Abigail Freeman and Vivian Sun, to help poke at M-cubes data and just confirm his discovery of hematite. Freeman said, At first, I totally didn't believe it. It shouldn't exist based on the conditions present on the moon. But since we discovered water on the moon, people have been speculating there could be a greater variety of minerals than we realize if the water had reacted with rocks. After taking a closer look, Freeman and Sun became convinced that the data does indeed indicate the presence of hematite at the lunar poles. In the end, the spectrum were convincingly hematite-bearing, and there needed to be an ex- explanation for why it's on the moon. Their paper offers a three-pronged model to explain how rust might form in such an environment. For starters, while the moon lacks an atmosphere, it is in fact home to trace amounts of oxygen. The source of that oxygen is our planet. Ah, I don't know that. What? Yeah, Earth's magnetic field trains trails behind a planet like a windsock. In 2007, Japan's kite... Kaguya orbiter discovered that oxygen from Earth's upper atmosphere can hitch a ride on this trailing magnetotail, as it's what? officially known, traveling the 239,000 miles to the moon. That's that insane. That discovery, yeah. It's just like blowing off and you're still getting like little to... bits of oxygen just hitting you from, from Earth. Yeah. Like, we're littering oxygen onto the moon. That discovery fits with data from MemCubed, which found more hematite on the moon's Earth-facing near side than on its far side. 
which suggests that the Earth's oxygen could be driving the formation of the hematite. Says Lee, the moon has been inching away from Earth for billions of years, so it's also possible that more oxygen hopped across this rift when the two were closer in the ancient past. Hmm. Right. When can we move there? Um, How soon till we can live on the moon? Well, it's rusty right now, so you got to be careful <laughs> about things. You know, you got to be careful about tetanus and right. some, and also okay. stains. You know, the moon will be, give you rust stains, and there's no uh, good washing detergent on the moon. So at least six months. Yeah, there's no grass stains to worry about, but you do have to worry about rust, and oh. you know how much that yeah, rust is really hard to get out of fabrics. Wow, can I tell you something? That is a beautiful colorful photo is that supposed to be real that blue and green at the top of uh, the of the are they showing the oxidation or the or it says the blue areas i guess it's a visualization it's a composite image from it's a mapped image oh i see okay but that's not it's not actually colorful like that and no i think the colors are just blue, the blue shows water concentration at the poles it says so, so it is you know it is a it is a real picture of the moon, but it's not as it would be seen from right. the naked eye. It's it's with uh, instruments that can that are detecting things other than just reflected light. Although a lot of it is reflected light. Then there's the matter of all the hydrogen being delivered by the solar wind. As a reducer, hydrogen should prevent oxidation from occurring, but Earth's magneto tail has a mediating effect. Besides ferrying oxygen to the moon from our home planet, planet it also blocks over 99 percent of the solar wind during certain periods of the moon's orbit specifically when it's in the full moon phase that opens occasional windows during the lunar cycle when rust can form now the third piece of the puzzle is water while most of the moon is bone dry water ice can be found in shadowed lunar craters on the moon's far side but the hematite was detected far from there the paper instead focuses on water molecules found in the lunar surface lee proposes that fast-moving dust particles that regularly pelt the moon could release those surface-borne water molecules, mixing them with the iron in the lunar soil. Heat from these impacts could increase the oxidation rate. The dust particles themselves may also be carrying water molecules, implanting them into the surface so they mix with iron. During just the right moments, namely when the moon is shielded from the solar wind and oxygen is present, a rust-inducing chemical reaction could occur. That's cool. So, yeah, and also this could explain hematite found on other airless bodies like asteroids. I still can't believe that oxygen can get sucked a quarter of a million miles through space and still interact with... Yeah. If, if there's oxygen on a planet, does that mean it makes it somewhat livable or not? No, because the concentrations are so low. You're sort of talking about very rarely molecules um, leaving Earth and just hitting the moon occasionally and if they just happen to hit at a part of the moon where simultaneously water has been kicked up by one of these dust storms and simultaneously the moon is shielded from the hydrogen by and the solar winds because it's a uh, because of the phase of the moon we're in so at exactly those moments those um atoms will combine and form one molecule one rust molecule and and over millions of years, this sort of gradually builds up, but it's not even close to long enough for anything to breathe. Oh, oh okay, okay. So even uh, like uh, insects uh, are non-existent. Yeah, I do. I think. Well, yeah, we've I never don't found know. any. We've never yeah, found, we've never any found any life like, anywhere. That doesn't mean that there couldn't be. Right. Well, there could be some form of life that requires very little oxygen, but or none. 
but we have had um, astrophysicists on the past, like Neil deGrasse Tyson was talking about his most recent book and mentioned that if you do find oxid, like molecular oxygen, like O2 in a planet's atmosphere, that is a really good sign that there is life because it's so unstable. Like it, it wants to form bonds and create other compounds. So if you, if you found just free oxygen, that would be a, definitely a, a, a sign that there probably is something going on of interest. And so he's saying that anything that has a, a sliver of life, it, it thirsts for more life in a sense? No, he's just saying that if we're looking at the chemical composition of planets outside of our solar system or any bodies, if we look in their atmospheres and find evidence of oxygen, that oxygen is probably only there because it's being created by some life forms. Like we have you know, plants oh, okay. that, that take in carbon dioxide and exhale oxygen and it, because it's so unstable if there were no life forms constantly regenerating it it would be combining with other elements and forming different compounds so like that's does that's that mean like, like it's cho- like it's choppy the oxygen is coming in s- small like bursts or it it comes and goes so it's not yeah there's not I think a continuity you know, just- of it yeah it's probably it's coming at different times i would guess but you know in different concentrations but it's also just it really is just the tiniest misting of oxygen, I guess, is, is I guess it's a sort of weird word to use, but yeah. the, okay. I like sort that. of dusting of... Who doesn't mind a little misting of oxygen? Mist. Right? <laughs> but if there is life, then it the would day. probably create, or po- quite possibly create its own oxygen in some way, or produce its own oxygen. And But if there is life, and then it, it kind of seeks out... That's what I'm curious about. So, like, if you have a living thing... Does it seek out other living things for some reason? Like, it thri- is that how it thrives? Or, it, like, it, it has to coexist with other living things to kind of multiply? Or, um, in fact, does it just isolate necessarily. itself? I think, yeah, I don't think... I think there are certain living things that can exist very much by themselves without other living things. And, you know, they that if you fairly, had the money, fairly that, basic organisms, I would have thought that, you know... That, let me ask you a serious question, a yeah. pedestrian serious question. If you had the money and the means and the uh, technology was there, would you would you go to the moon? 100%. Oh, you would? Really? 100%. Yeah. But you would not be fearful of your life or anything? Oh, I, I would absolutely be fearful. And, you know, just <laughs> in the moment of strapping into the rocket, I would, yeah, you'd be sort of terrified because I think astronauts could, yeah. don't ask – because you could disintegrate. Yeah, and being the, an astronaut has an incredibly high death rate, although <laughs> it's from a relatively small sample size. But yeah, yeah, it'd be very that moment of takeoff. I, you'd be bricking Oof, it, but um, yeah. but definitely, yeah. I think I would. Well, take I wouldn't that do Mars. I wouldn't do Mars, but I'll do the Moon just from the yeah length of the trip. Because yeah, the Moon, yeah. you're, you're there back in a few days. But I thought the, I thought Mars is the one that had more uh, like. Uh, doesn't Mars not have more life, but isn't there something with Mars that uh, humans can survive easier? But is it because it's so far away is why we haven't been there? We've been close to it, haven't we? Oh, no. Humans have never been anywhere close to it. We've sent, we've sent probes onto it. We've landed things on it. But humans have – the farthest humans have been from the planet is the moon. And yeah. Mars is so much farther than that. Oh, so we've never – I mean, I know, I know we've never been on Mars, but I mean, I thought we had the space station – uh, got relatively close, or no, not even no, close. No, no. Even the, the oh, space okay. station, even is 
the space it, station is very close to Earth in astronomical close, terms. It's closer to us than San Francisco is to us. Oh, oh, wow. When it oh, flies okay, over, okay. it's like 90 miles overhead, 100 miles overhead, something like that. So, yeah, the, the, the space station is in near-Earth orbit, and then the, the moon is in a far-Earth orbit, and then Mars is not in Earth's orbit at all. Oh, so what's the, what's the closest we've been to Mars? In what capacity? Well, we, we've landed... So unmanned things have landed on Mars. There is, you know, Lots there are spacecraft built by humans that have landed on Mars and driven around and collected samples and so on um, and analyzed them and sent the information back. There's a, there's a rover. I think there's still a rover that is active oh, okay. on Mars. Okay. Is it? Or is it dead now? Um, well, uh, I, I don't know if it's alive, but we just sent another one that's going to do a... Um like do some digging and take core samples and things yeah. didn't we so so unmanned, they, they'll send back rocks they don't We've send never them had back they returned. sort of collect them on board and at, they have sort of a mini chemistry lab on board and they'll analyze stuff and then they'll send that data back oh but nothing uh, physical comes back from mars i don't think so no i'm no, almost certain no, we haven't no. had anything take off from the surface of mars yeah or i'm even, pretty sure of that yeah. But yes, as far as how close humans have been, I'm pretty sure in the last 47 years, no one's been more than 90 miles off the planet. Yeah, because the, since the Apollo oh. program finished, the furthest you, anyone's been is, I don't know whether the Mir space station or the current ISS is further away, but they're both in near-Earth orbit. Oh, okay. I, was, I don't know why, probably because my fourth grade, fifth grade science education. Uh, I always thought Mars was to be this more... Uh, like palatable planet for some reason I, the uh, the atmosphere or something was it's, safer it's than potentially the moon. yeah well it's potentially habitable to with a lot of engineering but it's certainly within the realms of potentially habitable for humans in that you know you it does have an atmosphere and it does have stuff going on and you can build pods that you live on or live in so a million years from now Let's say a million years from now, uh, if life is still here and everything, uh, would would the moon or Mars be more uh, apt to probably have people on it? That's a good question. I would guess Mars, but I don't know the answer to that. I I think the moon doesn't really have much going for it in terms of somewhere you could live. And also... So the moon's like Compton... And yeah. then Mars is like Manhattan Beach. Yeah, but the, well, except That's the moon Earth is becoming is gentrified. Beach. Right, yeah. <laughs> it's gentrified. So you know they got their first. Yeah, yeah. they got their first barista <laughs> the other day, and uh, yeah, That's an no, intelligentsia up there Absolutely. in the sea of tranquility. Yeah, it's yeah. really changing things. <laughs> By the way. Soon there's going to be just stores that sell personalized scents, and then there's going to be <laughs> artisanal dog food is next. There are there are so oh, many other shops around. God. Like we're in Silver Lake, and then West Hollywood obviously has had it for years. But there are so many shops that we walk past that are just like outside of COVID, because oh. that changed all the rules anyway. But like pre-COVID, where you're like, what is your business model? How do you exist? <laughs> yeah, is everything in here just so expensive that you only need to sell one thing a week, and then you're you're good? <laughs> Yeah, I, it's like I, an old SN. I remember this SNL sketch with uh, Fred Willard. May he rest in peace. But it was Fred Willard and someone else, and they had a Scotch tape store. They just sold Scotch tape. <laughs> <laughs> it was just, and it was, it reminds my daughter lives in Silver Lake, 
And it reminds me of some of those little shops where, you're, like you said, you're like, so you, you're a candle shop, but you don't use wax. You know, like, right. <laughs> yeah, we only sell the wick, and then you have to go oh, next door to get oh, the wax. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, wicks are us. Hey. Yeah. This is all right. We sell the best wicks that you're ever going to have in your life. And then you have to buy molten wax from next door. And then you pour the molten wax into your wick. Uh, But also, we don't sell the holders either. So you need to get the container from a third store. So you get the container first, then the wick, then the the wax. And there's a big party. Hey. Yeah. We're all celebrating. Yeah. The the new wick store. Um, (laughs) This is going to be great for our little corridor. We, yeah, we should wrap up in a second. But Gene, are you okay hanging hanging around for another five minutes so we can do an extra story for the Patreon listeners? Of course. Thank you. But in the meantime, for the main show, Gene, where can our listeners find out more about you and everything you're doing? Uh, they can uh, follow me on Gene Pompa Instagram. I just go by my uh, regular name. I don't have any kind of catch or handle. Uh, but mostly, you know, I, I, uh, I'm on Facebook a lot. I know it's gotten a little bit... Uh, are you know archaic now to <laughs> some people yeah. antiquated. You're very funny on Facebook. <laughs> but I use it like an open mic. So that's basically how I use Facebook. But yeah, follow me on Facebook or, or Instagram. I don't uh tweet too much because everyone's mad at each other at Twitter now. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And it bums me out sometimes. <laughs> it's not the most but yeah, Jean Pope at Facebook and awesome. Instagram is the most consistent. Well, we are Thank still you. on Twitter at, at @probablyscience and individually at Andy T. Wood and at Matt Kirshen. And you can also find us probablyscience.com is our website where we post all of the stories that we cover and also our links to the Patreon and PayPal donations if you want to do that. Thank you very much, everyone who does. You can also help us out by spreading the word, writing nice things about us on iTunes and so on. Uh, you know, it hasn't even been called iTunes for a long time, has it? We meant to say Apple Podcasts and probably have done oh. for the last... Is that true? All oh, the man, professional podcasts do that, yeah. So old, yeah. And, and Stitcher what, what, and all of those what, things. Wait, what's iTunes now? It's called App. Wait. Well, Apple Podcasts is what you're meant to say. I think iTunes oh, okay, as an app okay. still exists, but not. There's, it's not where podcasts are under the Apple thing. Just go into your local um, HMV record store and ask for the podcast. <laughs> probably science. Yeah, it's next to the Wick store. Yeah, yeah. 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 Go into Tower Records. Right next to Licorice Pizza. Yeah. Ask your librarian about probably science. They'll go to their Uh, they'll go to their microfiche and pull out the right episode. It's so Um, sad. Now I miss. Now I actually kind of miss being in a store. Oh yeah. So long. Even a weird store. I'm like, yeah, that'll do. Make me make me feel like a human again. I, I had to go into I had to go into a couple. I had to go into Rite Aid pharmacy the other last week and just I was just picking up a prescription and then there was just an older woman who was telling her life story to the pharmacist. <laughs> and it, I just I got so mad. Like there's signs up everywhere saying please be as swift as possible and we right. waiting in, we were waiting behind her. The, a line was building up where for I'm not kidding like 10 minutes of no. and I in my head I'm like 15 minutes exposure is like the time that it takes. <laughs> oh, yeah, 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 definitely. But, yeah, um, you start, <laughs> start but yeah, it. eventually okay. someone whistled and shouted, hurry up in Spanish. <laughs> ah, really? Oh, that's great. But, uh, <laughs> maybe that was her first human interaction since March, you know, at her defense. Maybe, maybe. To, but, that's you know. one thing. I have to be, you know what? I try to be cognizant of that. I'll go to, to Ralph's, right, or Target. And uh, when I do go, I find like, oh, other people, other humans. And so when I'm at the cashier, I almost want to have a conversation, but I catch myself going, no, no, don't be like those old guys 
that, you know, hasn't, hasn't, you know, you start talking too much and so get in and get out. But there are times where, because we long as humans uh, for connection, that yeah. I that I want to actually you know fire up a conversation, but I I, uh, I catch myself and so I don't. But it it is tempting. I, really I can see to. the reason why, but yeah, I it still yeah you've got to think about everyone else. But yeah, you can do that. You can find us there. Oh, and probably science at gmail is the email address for any questions, comments, clarifications, and stories you would like us to cover. So do that. Uh, Gene, thank you so much for joining us. It was a pleasure. Thank you, gentlemen. I appreciate it. See you, listeners. We'll see you next time. Bye-bye.